I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest, a man I rely on, the smartest man in dry land training. He's the founder and CEO of Ritter Sports Performance and Surge Strength. Chris Ritter. Beard Brothers Unite, Mel. Thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, and we're we're capturing late in the in the, in the year. We're coming up on uh, on holiday training, uh, yeah. aka Hell Week. It's already here. This is a this is a this is hollowed ground. This is that special moment, and this is um, you know I wanted to talk to you because this is the time that window of opportunity when athletes make decisions, when coaches make decisions that will make or break their following seasons. Gold medals. Uh, you know, getting into the right schools, making your sectional, you know, personal best times, uh, wh- wherever you are in your career, this is, this is when you make the investment. So thank you for being here today. We are going to get funky with dry land training and how to make it work for you. Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited. Just out of curiosity, I'm, 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 ca- I'm talking to you from Austin, Texas, and you're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of this morning, I woke up, my wife rolled over in bed and said, we are at stage five in Austin, Texas. And that means we're at stage five means they're shutting down restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so this is, everyone said this is the, the, the cold winter, the darkest mm-hmm. hour of the pandemic, and it's here. And we know that teams are going to be working around this struggling. Pool time is going to be, a, is, is for a large proportion, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, so, how, how do we make the most of this crucial time and get over the hump in the dry land space? It's a broad know, question. It's a broad question, but I just want to get you into it. No, I know. Unfortunately, I feel like a little bit of a broken record back in March, April, May when we talked too, and I know just the mental toll. I can't even imagine as a swimmer, as a coach, trying to be on deck is today, are we able to practice today or not? Are we going to have pool space or not? Like, I can't even imagine the mental fatigue, let alone if you're in the water getting training done or on land. But I do think that with the uncertainty, right? Because we can't control what the local governments are going to say, shutting down pool times, all that. But I do think one of the ways dry land can help, not just enabling athletes to have better bodies functioning, being able to be in the water faster, but if you think about it, dryland can be the one consistent thing a swimmer can have, whether they're going to practice or not. They can do some stuff at home. They can do stuff, you know, if they're able to at the pool. So not so much in a sense of, hey, we want our swimmers to be more athletic and all the other positive things that come from dryland. I think just mentally, it can be a very positive thing for the coaches to give their swimmers, say, hey, if we're in the water today or not, have you done your shoulder exercise at home? You know, have you done some core work? And just that sense of normalcy a little bit with that routine, because there's stuff you could do at home that doesn't have to change based on what the conditions are outside, you know, and if you're being in the water or not. So that's what's been on my mind a lot of just thinking of the mental toll this has now taken on all of us as we're, you know, doing this game of, you know, what's open, what's not, are we in the water or not? And so I'm almost focusing more on that, the mental aspect 
And, you know, of course we always have the positive things, but yeah, that, that's what I've been thinking about lately. Okay. Let's, let's frame this for listeners. If, if somehow you don't know Chris Ritter and you're in swimming, then uh, you've been hiding under a rock, but you know, not everyone might know. And if they don't uh, press pause, or if you're watching this, pick up your on video on your computer, pick up your phone, pop over to surge-strength.com. Also go to RitterSP.com. And you can you can put it on pause and you and you can you can move through his site. It is C Spot Run. It gives you everything you need to know. Four one one on training, but it's uh, just just have that have that on the, on the ready. And uh, because this is the the founder and CEO, you did something this past year. Yeah. Um, you uh, and this began with with conversations we had earlier in the year, mm-hmm. and you launched Surge Strength Dryland Certification. And it was a, pardon me? No, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, right. We've done a lot this year. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I made the, you, you smiled in a funky way. And it was a, um, you know, this has been your plan all along because you're, you're, you know that the, a lot of coaches, a lot of athletes have a huge knowledge base when it comes to swim. But how do they pair that with this crucial asset of dry land training? And then the pandemic hit. And then it became this, that was all there was. And we mm-hmm. saw it all over social media. I'm sure that you watched a lot of social media and cringed because you were seeing athletes do their dry land a certain way. But it's, uh, and then we came back later in the year and athletes were, you know, it's the beginning of the summer. Athletes were doing best times yes. after they being out of the water. And I, I called you because I didn't know why. And what did you say to me? Yeah, it, it, I was not surprised at all because the combination of, especially high school, adolescence kids, one, getting more sleep because of no morning practice. And two, dryland was all you're going to have left. So getting your core stronger, hopefully getting your shoulders in better shape. And I just think coaches underrate how much building a better athlete on land can translate to then what we're able to do in the ceiling you're able to accomplish in the water. I mean, your favorite event, Mel, the 200 butterfly. If, if you can't do a pull-up, how do you think you're going to last that last 50 you know, when the piano falls on your back? And just simply like there's only so many sets that can help you on that back half of that 200 fly. And if your ceiling is this because you can barely do one or two pull-ups, that's what you're working with. Whereas now if you're at 10, 20 pull-ups, now we have this much more to work within the water. And I think coaches really saw that. And I think a lot of swimmers realized, wow. I didn't lose that much. You know, I mean, I grew up in the day old age. I'm sure you did too. Every day you're out of the water, it takes two days to come back and all of that. And of course, aerobic conditioning, anaerobic, all of that, you you can't dispute biology. But on the other hand, I think people glossed over how important being athletic and strong and powerful and mobile and having good shoulder health is. And I think we're seeing it. The beauty of Surge Strength Dryland Certification at the the website, Surge dash strength.com is that you, you take people through it. You take coaches, you take it, it. You can go and arm yourself with this education and you know, you're getting the best information, the right information, and you can be certified. And, uh, I like certification. I love education. I like being empowered D- during the pandemic off topic. I have done weird little things outside of the swimming universe that, uh, just for my brain and just yeah. for my well-being, just because I, I felt you, you, you feel like, wow, we're not making gains and living life the way we normally do, but I'm trying to keep my brain active just for mental health. For your coach, this is like the time to take that pause and go, 
I'm going to, I'm going to strengthen that muscle <laughs> up here in my noggin. This is uh, just, just before we get into the nitty gritty and, and, and nerd out on some questions that I have is if, if I'm a coach and I step in, I go to the website, where, where do I start? What's, what's, what's the easiest entry point to get in and start rolling with this? Yeah. So you can join for free in the Academy, register and enroll. And Mel, we are just coming out with a new Dryland 101 course that any coach, any swimmer can take for free. And it's Dryland at home. What do you do if you're stuck at home? No equipment. We give you all the tools. I give you my three to four biggest things to do. And I kind of saw this coming with shutdown starting to, to happen again. And I thought we need to do something. So no money, go to surge-strength.com, register in the academy. And that's the newest Dryland 101 course that we have. And the bigger picture of the Dryland approach that we take with Surge Strength is we want to make it as simple as possible, but it's still effective. So going back to Mel, you said, you know, when the shutdowns are first happening in the spring and we're seeing, you know, dry land all over the place, I think coaches get so quickly overwhelmed, right? Go to YouTube and you can get lost in how many rabbit holes of exercises and, oh, this is funky and, oh, this is, this is cool. Let's do this. And I think when you don't have the basic foundational understandings in a very simple way of, okay, I know I need to do dry land, right? And I think most coaches are there now. They know they need to do dry land on some level, but now where do you start? How do you piece together these millions of videos that you have access to on YouTube into a succinct program that you need to deliver through Zoom? And that's what we try to do is simplify it down to say, hey, just focus on these things. And this is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And these are the easiest things that the kids can then do, whether you're there uh, on deck with them or whether they're at their home and they have no equipment. And you're chlorinated and your knowledge base <laughs> comes from this foundation. And uh, along with the education, but you, you, you uniquely have this intimate relationship with SWIM, a long history uh, between Olympians, Olympic coaches. And uh, that's crucial because it's a, you, you, you speak the SWIM language and you're, you, you understand how to educate swimming coaches in particular. It's, uh, yeah, it's this, this is the time. My feeling on this right now is, is, uh, if, if anyone is living the life that I'm living and I'm, I swim very little, but I have to, I, if, if I don't, if I swim now, I have problems. Cause if I, I, I do, I'm an exaggerated example of what happens to, to swimmers who are not in the water right? and uh, then get back in and feel the tension <laughs> in every single joint and feel their body position sink. Because yeah. as an adult, we go through long periods of time where we're not swimming. <laughs> Uh, so I'm working out in my little workout room or at the foot of my bed or, and I'm doing all of the different things that I do to, to basically keep a baseline of health mm -hmm. so that I don't injure myself. Yeah. It's if, um, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm at home and I'm a kid and I'm like, wow, it's just to start my holiday training. And, and now I'm looking at five days before my coach can wrangle a pool. I know. What do you do? Yeah. So this is what I was trying to wrap my head around with this new Dryland 101 course that we came out with that you can register for free. And I was thinking, okay, I want to make this as simple, but yet as effective as possible. And I came up with three to four things. The fourth one is depending on if you have a pull-up bar at home, which in my mind, I think about the, the, the money that swimmers spend on tech suits, which is warranted, but then they say, oh, I don't have money for Dryland equipment. Okay. Pull-up bar, $20, $30, right? <laughs> How many hundreds are you going to spend on multiple tech suits in a year? 
you can get a pull-up bar. So that's the fourth kind of bonus element that we had in it. But the top three, you don't need any equipment for. So breathing, number one, and I think no one thinks about this, Mel, because when you're at the deck and you have equipment, you have some med balls or whatever, you're thinking, all right, we got to utilize this equipment. We got to go, go, go. Like, let's take advantage of it, which is great. But people don't understand the underlying mechanism of movement and how athletes ultimately perform is breathing, which has a direct signal to the brain. And how many swimmers are poor breathers in that they're chest breathing and mouth breathing. And when you think about swimming as a sport, where's the spot that you slow down the most in every stroke? It's during the breath. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if we can just get them to be a little bit more efficient breathers, then they can work a little bit more on being quick. I think a lot of times kids, when they take that long, slow breath on freestyle or they're not getting their head down soon enough in butterfly, it's, it's honestly, they're not being able to breathe in as functionally as they can. And so then as a coach, you're, you know, talking to your blue in the face, hey, have the breath be quicker and all that. But their brain is saying, hey, I need oxygen. So if we can help them just breathe more efficiently. So we have a few exercises that they can just do. And we almost set that up as the warm up. Because if you're at home, all right, you're probably not having any equipment. Let's focus on some things that you're maybe overlooking when you are at the pool and you do have access to equipment. Um, and I think even just some of those simple changes of being able to help kids not be chest breathers anymore and breathe through the belly, then when they get in the pool, their body's going to automatically relax a little bit more because the brain knows, hey, I can breathe well. I, I'm not in this hypertense state all the time. And if you go into workout already in an elevated state because your breathing is off, you're lowering that ceiling again of what you can actually do. So breathing is number one. And I think people don't even recognize that as a part of what we can help in dryland. And that's of course going to help you in the water. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you might be a swim parent listening to this. You might be a coach that's um, never thinks about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a very sad confession. Uh, I, I never thought about this. I'm, I'm a yogi. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I do a lot of yoga now. I lift weights and I do yoga and I get in the pool just for mental health in my brain. Mm -hmm. So I think about it now, but during my career, so three Olympic medals, two golds and a bronze, never had a coach ever say, I need you to be breathing from your belly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ever. Yes. What, what do, so I'm, I'm 10 years old and you, and you're in, and I'm at home and I'm, and I'm doing this breathing exercise. How, how do you explain to a 10 year old, you don't, not from your chest, from your belly. Yeah. Just, just give us a taste. Yeah. So there's a, there's this drill we call crocodile breathing. So you lay on your stomach, hands on your forehead, and you have them breathe in through their nose and out through their mouth. And when they're breathing, they're trying to push their belly into the ground and let it expand out. Just like you would see a crocodile. And that's all you have to do. And what we recommend is doing that for at least one minute, but up to five, if you feel it's kind of challenging. And at some point you want that to be the automatic way you're breathing, as opposed to really having to put a lot of mental energy into thinking about it. So that's step number one, just getting kids to understand, all right, how do I move my belly doing that? Then the more advanced thing that we ask them to do it's what I call the, the gut punch self-test. Now, this is self-test. Don't do it to your little brother or sister, okay? This is a self-test. So I'm going to do it right now, Mel. So I'm going to create tension 360 in my abdomen. It's tight. I'm going to breathe, and you can talk. That's even more an advanced level. And punch yourself and keep that tension 
while you're able to talk and breathe. And think about how that relates to swimming, right? So we talk about the breath in swimming when swimmers slow down the most. If they're breathing and they can't keep tension, not only are they probably going to have a slow, long breath, they're also going to sink down in the water. So we're teaching them how to have better body position in the water by holding that tension and being able, can I breathe while holding tension 360 throughout? So just those two drills, take a few minutes, practice it. I guarantee if breathing was something that was you were struggling with or holding back, now when you go in the pool, you all of a sudden have more tools in your belt, so to speak, to then work on, all right, I want to snap my head back faster on that breath because your brain's not worrying about lower level stuff of, am I getting enough oxygen? Can I keep tension while I'm breathing? Where were you when I was a child? <laughs> I tell you about this, we try to keep it simple, right? Like how simple is that? But no one talks about stuff like that. It's, uh, I mean, I'm listening to you right now and I'm, and I'm like, if, if I had, if, I was very much so, you know, everything you're looking back on, everything was mind body connection mm -hmm. always as an athlete. That's the beauty of swim. Mm -hmm. What you're laying down neuro pathways that are going to, that are going to make you a superhero into old age, but to, to be as, as present of mind about it and know that this is, this is, this is some secret sauce. This is a secret weapon. The, uh, but I'm just thinking just as you're talking, I'm like, wow, you're uh, that, that improves your body position. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you're, yes you're, you're going to capture your breath faster because you're breathing from your belly. Mm -hmm. But just doing that drill where, you, where you're maintaining the tension, your body position is going to be better. Yeah. And, and everything in swimming is body position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and this is where I think coaches are, they know what the end product needs to look like, right? All, every coach knows I need to have my swimmers have great body position. And of course, there are drills that we can do on floating. And, you know, are you pressing your chest down? Are you keeping your tight streamline and things like that? But really the underlying mechanism is going to be when they breathe, can they keep that tension in? And if they can't, they're automatically going to sink no matter how many drills in the water you do with them. And so, you know what? If you're unfortunately out of the pool, and even if you're not, you should add this and say, all right, kids, once a day before you go to bed, when you wake up, let's just do these for a few minutes. And that's going to allow them to perform better in the pool. I'm at home. The pandemic is, is, is marching forward and, mm -hmm. and I, and all I've got is, 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 uh, hopefully my chin up bar and, uh, and, and I have number two, I I've, I've got these, these things that I can do to, 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 to make my breathing mm -hmm. like an elite. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned a few other points. Uh, what, what else can I do? Yeah. So shoulder mobility is another one. That's number two. So breathing and then shoulder mobility, because Nine out of 10 injuries, I'm going to say off the top of my head, I have no stats for that, but I'm going to assume most injuries that a swimmer is going to have are going to be somewhat shoulder related. And so, yes, it sucks if you're out of the water, but if anything, I look at that as a window of opportunity when you can make some gains in helping your shoulder mobility improve. Because if you're going to practice every day, there's so many thousands of strokes you're doing with your shoulder. And that's not the right direction in terms of where the shoulder needs to be position wise or the stress on it. And so if you are out of the water and if you're not, you should still be adding these in. And so we give three to four exercises or actually, sorry, a list of about 10 and we have you choose, Hey, pick three to four. And I think the big thing, Mel, is then people say, all right, well, I need to focus on these three to four, but then how to do it. So we have two rules for stretching that a lot of people miss. 
being able to breathe, which we already addressed in our first module, you know, how, how are we breathing well, but then make sure you're smiling, make sure you're able to be relaxed. And if you can't smile when you're going through these shoulder stretches, back off, find a place that you can do it comfortably and still smile because that's the area you need to work on. So if your shoulder's really out of position, we're not going to get it back on day one, but after a few days, after a few weeks, it's going to get closer and closer. And it's almost a way to talk to your brain to say, hey, this is okay. We can increase this range of motion a little bit. And if you're able to smile, you're more relaxed. Your brain's going to accept those changes in the actual structure instead of thinking, oh, I'm in danger here. I feel pain. I'm going to tighten up. So we just teach those simple rules like that of breathing and smiling while you're stretching, making sure you're doing it for at least a minute and then do it a few rounds if you need to, if you're really tight in the shoulders and you need to address that. You know, what's fascinating is that this, the, the shoulder injury is the injury in swim mm-hmm. and it is a, um, it's something that everyone is, it, it's always in the back of your head. You never know when it's going to happen. As we speak right now, I know of Olympic medalist world champions who have shoulder issues Mm -hmm. and they have confided this to me as a peer and I'm not telling anybody because they don't want it to be public. It's not really, it's not really news because it's the truth is everyone at a certain level is managing something that is, that could be an issue with their shoulder. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the, and we recently reported on Missy Franklin and Missy Franklin said that she can't swim anymore. I remember that. Yeah. Her shoulder issues. And, you know, you're looking at Missy Franklin, five-time Olympic gold medalist, beautiful stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so the question is, you know, everybody's vulnerable, but where, how do you protect yourself from that? So I'm Missy Franklin. What are, I'm not calling her out. I love Missy Franklin, right. but what could she have done to uh, prolong her career, preserve her shoulders? Because looking at her, you know, as as I'm looking at her stroke and I'm going, I don't see how. how right. It's not that it was poor technique, Mel. Right. It, that, that's what you're getting at. It's not that, you know, hey, the technique was off and that's the cause. It's really the nature of the beast. And in the surge certification, I was putting it together. I actually titled it the eternal struggle of the swimmer because you're always going to have that struggle in terms of to get up and down the pool. You got to do a thousand or so laps. How many thousands of laps? It just builds up. It's just math at that point. And if you're not doing anything to counteract it, I'm unfortunately not surprised that that happened if you're not actively saying, okay, if I'm going up and down the pool, taking a thousand strokes with each shoulder, what am I actually doing to counteract that a few minutes before practice, a few minutes after? And that can depend on how well your shoulders are functioning. If they're really functioning well, great. You probably can get away with a few times a week. If they're really poor, you need to be doing that before, after, before, after bed, everything like that. But a very simple one, Mel, is just being close to the wall. So get as close to the wall as you can. Whatever arm is at the wall, go thumb up and try to be as close to the wall as you can and then go all the way back. So then when you're at the top, you're going to twist your arm. So then pinky leads going down and then you just go back through that. Now, this is where people are going to get stuck in that we go back to our rules of breathing and smiling. There's going to be a certain point where you're going to uh, grit your teeth and try to get through it. And that tells me that mechanically, structurally in your shoulder, it is too tight and you're having to grimace and gut through that. Well, if you're tough right now, that's okay. But if you keep doing that, at some point, it's going to break. It's, you're going to have micro tears and those add up. And so 
you got to step away from the wall a little bit and find the space that you can move comfortably through that range of motion, breathing and smiling. And for as much pain as swimmers endure and how tough of a sport it is, I think some of these things they think, oh, well, how's this going to help me? This isn't tough, right? In general, right? Like you're training for the 200 fly compared to getting up to the wall and moving your arm around. That, that looks like nothing. But that can help you then train for the 200 fly if your shoulders are in better shape. And that's not going to be the issue of why you need to stop and take a break or take an extended break from training. So don't overlook the simple things. You heard it here first. Having uh, a perfect stroke isn't necessarily going to protect you from a shoulder injury. You've got to be aware of your shoulder mobility mm -hmm. and maintain it before and after practice, depending on, on your, on your, on your level of yeah. mobility. And, uh, what's interesting is what you just shared with us, this, this wall test. Uh, and it, it that's going to tell you where your pain point is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't address that, you could have micro tears. Or if you feel a little click or a little jump as, as you're going through it. Okay. That's where the tendons and stuff is knotted up for whatever reason. And you can, with time and patience, work through that if you're following the two rules of being able to breathe and smile as you go through it and just consistently do it. It, it can work itself out, but you have to put in the time and be patient and follow the rules that we have for that. You must be very frustrated when you hear about shoulder problems. I, it must make you angry. <laughs> Well, I experienced it, Mel, and I think that's where it comes from of I know how I injured my shoulder could have been avoided. And it's not that my coach is a bad person. It's not that I was, you know, being a goofball or whatever and, and just being negligent, right, and getting hurt. But there are just these simple things that every coach and swimmer can do. And think about that. If we just reduced shoulder injuries by 50% across swimming, I think of how many more performances can we elevate then? How many more swimmers could have longer careers or achieve a higher level of performance? And even more so, master swimming, which we're both a part of, think about how many master swimmers can actually more enjoy the sport lifelong and not think, yep, can't get in the pool, shoulders messed up from 20 years of swimming. You know, um, we watched Michael Phelps swim through five Olympic championships, win 28 medals, yeah. uh, 23 gold. And I can tell you this from an early age, from the University of Michigan on, you know, he was still uh, relatively, he was, you know, what, 18, 19. Uh, he's had the same trainer and mm -hmm. that trainer's on it. Mm -hmm. uh, not everybody can have their own personal yes. trainer uh, on deck with them throughout their entire career, but they could have you and they could have surge, surge strength, mm -hmm. rittersports.com, uh, rittersp.com. They, they, they have this as, as their own, they have this at the ready now. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if he can swim that far with that much success, put that much stress on his shoulders and be fine, that, that tells you that it's possible to, to do this. Yeah, absolutely. No, and Keenan obviously did a great job in working in tandem with Bob to make sure they had Michael's body in the shape to then take whatever training they're going to do in the pool. And again, we go back to how many swim coaches probably know what they're doing in the pool and they can write all these periodized programs. They can go through the microcycles and everything. But if the athlete shows up and the body isn't ready for whatever you're going to eventually put them through, it doesn't matter how good of a plan you write up because the swimmer's probably not going to make it through. I'll give you. I'll share a story off topic. I was at I was at a meet. God, it was nine, eight or nine years ago, and it was in season. 
and I was stressed. We were probably on the run up to 2012 mm-hmm. and uh, something was tense in my neck, but uh, Bob Bowman sees me and, you know, and, and he's like, you need to see Keenan. Just, just take 15 minutes with Keenan. And uh, Keenan put me on the table, worked on me for 15 minutes, but, but I, my head was like, was, was connected <laughs> to my shoulder or I was walking around like this and, uh, and he fixed me. Yeah. Now I've had this problem before mm-hmm. and it's, so I have a, I have a shoulder issue and whenever I have some sort of tension in my neck or my traps or anywhere on the back of my, on my, my back, you know, close to my shoulder, mm-hmm. it always, it's, there's something in there that's injured and is in, and it creates tension and everything tightens up. It can knock me out for six months. Mm-hmm. So uh, he fixed me in 15 minutes. So having knowledge matters. And Mel, that brings up the thought that we go through in the certification too about the difference between pain and discomfort. And if you're a swimmer, you are no stranger to discomfort, to 200 fly, right? Going up and down the pool. And you have to be tough to be a swimmer, especially, I don't care what event you're doing. On some level, the training is going to not be comfortable. And unfortunately, that can easily shift into swimmers thinking, okay, I'm going to push through this injury or I'm going to push through something. And they're just thinking it's going to go away the same way the set ends. And now the discomfort starts to go away. Well, if you do that to the shoulder, that may not go away. It's not going to just end when the set ends. And so for coaches and swimmers to understand there's a difference between pain and discomfort, pain is going to be very sharp. Uh, it may t- sometimes be sudden, but then also too with tendonitis, sometimes it can build up over time and you build up this tolerance to, yeah, my shoulder always hurts when we get to this part of the set. Like that's not normal. I mean, and, and for swimmers to be tough, but then realize, Hey, I need to take care of my body. And, that's okay. Like that, that shouldn't be hurting. I understand I need to take pain as I'm going up and down the pool. Sorry, more discomfort. Try to use those two words very distinctly. Um, at the end of a, a hard 200 fly set or working on mile training or whatever, it's going to hurt. But then when the set ends, it subsides. The shoulder, unfortunately, doesn't really happen that way. Breathing, shoulder mobility. Core work. Core work. Yes. <laughs> too long to get to core work. Talk and, to me. Well, we actually uh, refer to it as brace. So we have five movements categories that we do it. So squat, a hinge, push, pull, and brace. And so, and I named it brace because when I think about how it translates to swimmers in the water, it's really their ability to brace that's going to determine how well they can keep that body position, how well they can transfer force from their catch through their body, through their kick, and move through a fluid like water. And so... I've used the different term than core to hopefully get coaches to think about it a little bit differently. It's more than just how many sit-ups can we do or even, you know, how, how long can we plank for or, or things of that nature. So we talk about training the, the core through the brace movements in a 3D manner. And what that means is you're in three different positions, supine where you're facing the ground, or excuse me, prone where you're facing the ground, supine when you're on your back looking up, and vertical where you're standing. Now the problem is to do brace movements in a vertical position, you usually need at least some type of equipment. So we make some recommendations in the program that it, you know, it could be as simple as a kettlebell, dumbbell, band. We give you a couple options, but for prone and supine, you need no equipment generally. You can get away with that. And with, with the core work, um, we also break it down of how many exercises should be you be doing and how often, and more importantly, 
we give you an assessment, a quick and dirty assessment that you can do in two and a half minutes, you will know what level of bracing exercises should I be doing. And so that test that you can see in the academy is a two and a half minute test so you get in a bridge position. So that's on your forearms. So we call plank when you're in that push-up position. Bridge is when you're on your forearms. You have to just hold a steady bridge for one minute. At a minute, you lift your foot up, one foot, about a couple inches off the ground, continue to hold for 15 seconds. Then you put that down, other foot for 15 seconds, put it down, arm out for 15, arm out for 15. Now we're at two minutes, okay? Then for the last 30 seconds, you go arm opposite leg, then arm opposite leg for 15. That gives us two and a half minutes. Now, as crazy as that sound, if you can't pass that, you are at a subpar level in your core function. Like that's, that's not advanced. That's okay. Now we can do some core work checking off that test. You're making me sad. <laughs> You're making but we, me sad. But it's okay now. Like that's why we break it down so we have three different levels of intensity in terms of the brace movements. And so if you can't do that for even a minute, you're at level one. If you can go over a minute, but you can't get to two and a half, you're at level two. If you can go two and a half, then you're at level three. And so that way, coaches can easily say to their swimmers, hey, do this test. It, it's not very hard to then them do it on their own. And then they can just slot themselves, see, all right, I need to do these exercises in level one because that's where my core is at. And that's okay. And we have a lot of coaches who then when they do the test, they realize like you, wow, my kids suck at this. They're not good at all. And think about if they, if everybody in your team could just do that test, how much easier they're going to glide through the water, being able to keep that body position. And it takes a while to get them to be able to pass the test. If they're really weak, if they're at that sub minute level, and we even will give coaches tips in there to break it down even more. If you have some really weak kids of, all right, do just these steps first, then this. And it's all about just frequency, repetition, and patience on it. But again, I was saying the same thing back in March and April. And if you could not do that test in March and April, by now, you easily could have done it if you would have followed what we said. So don't make the same mistake twice where if you're out of the pool, not, if you can't do that test, you can do it in a few months by following what we teach you and think about the gains that you can make in the pool so much more than, all right, we're going to swim more yards or I'm going to be on a tighter interval. Like go to the foundations of what's going to make you faster in the water. There's certain things you can do and you can blow it out and you need rest. You got to recover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a debate as to, you, know, you, you can talk to coaches and they're like, nope, core works seven days a week. Um, yeah, how, often, when you, how often do you need to do core work to maintain and strengthen your core? So I would say a minimum of four times a week is what I would say. Now, when we're talking about the breathing and the shoulder mobility every day, and especially if you have issues with either of those, with core, it's going to depend a little bit on what you need. So if you can pass that test, Honestly, I think you're fine with four, maybe five times if you want to go that, unless you're really looking to gain in a specific manner or you know, hey, I can still get a little bit more. If, if you're really weak, I would actually suggest every day, but you don't have to go very long. So just doing that test or it's a subsection of the test that we break down if you're really weak, just doing that, hey, once in the morning for a few minutes, once at night for a few minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour-long session. And again, this is, I think, a common mistake coaches and swimmers make of thinking it's an all or nothing thing, right? Like I'm either doing this for an hour or I'm not. Well, just a few minutes can help. Same thing with pull-ups. If you can't do pull-ups, hey, just every time you walk by the pull-up bar in your house, just hang for 30 seconds. And if you do that a few times a day, 
in a few weeks, you're going to be amazed at the strength it builds. But to answer your question directly, Mel, in all my years, if you approach core training and the brace movements in a 3D perspective, I have not found that you can overtrain that. And that's, that's the caveat. It, unless, unless you are going, you know, all supine and just doing crunches all day, I don't think that's going to end up in the best uh, result. But if you take each of the three buckets there that we have, the supine, vertical, and prone positions, and mix those together, you can do it every day. But I don't know if you need to necessarily. If you're on the weaker side, I want to go more frequency. If you're passing that test, I'm not as worried about it. And I think four to five times is going to be okay. Core work is that pain point that really just, you know, if, if you're weak there and you need to be, mm-hmm. you need to be strong, mm-hmm. it's uh, getting there, getting there can be, it, it, you, as you're saying, it, it's, it's step by step and you, and you can do it. It's, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, but there's something about it and you maintain it and you hit points in your career where your core is like carved out of stone. You're rock <laughs> solid. <laughs> you feel it. You feel it in your fifth stroke and you're underwaters. Yes, absolutely. You, you find and work out that you're pushing off the wall and it's just like magic. You just leave everyone behind mm-hmm. and that's a great feeling. But it's, uh, yeah, core work is, I, I found that once I got my core to a certain level, because I didn't, I didn't focus on it until really into college. Yeah. And, and then was... And was and was being trained by the same the same trainers who who coached you know worked with the football team. Mm-hmm. So we weren't always doing things directly applicable to swim, right. which they can get with you. Mm-hmm. But once I once I reached the level of of just of, of strength that was there and at the right level, it was uh, you know you start to have movements in different ways that feel magical in the water. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. you start to feel it becomes like breathing. Mm-hmm. And you want to stay there, but yeah. I but I did ask you the question because it seems like I always felt like no matter how hard I push my core, I could push it a little bit more. Yes, yes. You can always get the, there's always a level up. <laughs> there is, there is. With that, though, children. Now, oh, sorry. No, I just want to say you know you make the point of like there, there's always a little bit more you can do. Zooming out though, one of the things we go through in the certification when you become dryland certified is we give you an assessment tool, mm-hmm. and then a a standard. And so some kids, I think they're off the top of my head, seven or eight different kind of areas we're looking for proficiency in that. And some kids may check off three or four of those. And in that sense, I think, all right, that's pretty good. Let's just hold that steady. And now we need to focus on the weak ones. And so it can be a, a situation where your core may be okay. And we need to go focus on your pull-up strength or something else and talk about things that are connected. If you have a weak core, you're not going to be able to do great pull-ups. And a lot of coaches don't make that connection either. In terms of your weakest athletes doing pull-ups are probably your weakest athletes in core, and they play off of each other in that way too. So yeah, there is a point where you can kind of say, all right, we're pretty good on this. Let's focus on these other areas. Breathing, shoulder mobility, core, brace, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, was there, did you? Did, yeah, the pull-up was did, the bonus fourth one if you, got a, okay. if you got a bar. And we break it down that if you can't do a pull-up, a very simple steps that you can follow so that you can do then multiple pull-ups. And I said the same thing back in the spring to you, Mel, if you would have started back when the shutdown first started, you would easily be able to do multiple pull-ups now if you followed what we're doing. So don't make the same mistake twice. If pull-ups is a weak thing for you, start now, 
Go buy a $30 pull-up bar, put it in your house, and follow the free program when you register in the Surge Strength Academy. And in a few months, you will be doing pull-ups if you follow what we say. It's, uh, so in, in, just as a recap, what, if, if, I'm, if I'm at home and my, I'm, you know, what, what do I need with me? Just as a recap, just, just to, to do what you've described. So with the dryland at home routine that we have in the academy, the pull-up bar is the only thing with that. But what I would recommend, if you're thinking, all right, Chris, I do spend a couple hundred dollars on tech suits every year and I have no dryland equipment at home to speak of. I would have a pull-up bar. I would have a few kettlebells. If you're a female, I would start with an eight or 12 kilogram kettlebell. Males, if you're a little bit on the stronger side, maybe go 16 or 24, but somewhere in between that, just having one or two of those and super bands. And that will help too. So not the bands that have the handles, but these uh, thick bands that are just a, a circular thing. And that will help especially too if you can't do pull-ups. So if you can get an inch, inch and a half, and all of those things, Mel, you could probably easily get under $100. And so we're not even at the cost that you're going to spend on your next tech suit there. So just do this in terms of getting a few pieces of equipment at home. But I think people don't do it because they're overwhelmed, Mel. They think, oh, I need a squat rack. I need a bench press. I need, you know, all these things or else I shouldn't do it. And it's just a few pieces of equipment that you could have at home that then opens up so many doors of allowing yourself to become a better athlete. We're rolling into holiday training, AKA hell week. And this is the moment when athletes really do invest in their future. This, the, the, the training they're going to do now is going to make or break their 2021 season. And if you can't, if you cannot depend on water, if you cannot depend on the pool. You can depend on this. You mm -hmm. can make gains here. This is going to be where the pandemic isn't going to slow down. It's surging now in the United States in particular. Uh, and, and, and it could be, it, I don't know what's going to happen in January and February, but th it looks like it's going to be more resilient than people think it will be. What, what do you think the future holds? I, I'm out of the guessing game, Mel, but <laughs> what I go back to is it doesn't matter, right? Let, let's say, let's say it all did go away tomorrow. <laughs> I would still be proposing these dryland things. But what I'm saying is if you find yourself out of the water, I know the mental toll and I can't even begin to understand the coaches and swimmers are going through, but find a way to do something. And even if you do have water time, I would assess what you're doing on dry land. And if you're doing things at home, or if you need to start implementing those things, they could be, again, as simple as some of the shoulder exercises or the breathing, just don't waste opportunities, right? And again, I go back to looking at the calendar here that's in my office of if people would have started this in March and April, how how good could they be by now? And I wonder how many people took that opportunity. And here's kind of another starting point. You know, the new year too, as crazy of a year as 2020 has been, people kind of around the holidays, new year, they're thinking, all right, I'm going to do some new resolutions or whatever. Think small, like start small with that. Can I just do shoulder mobility every day? One or two exercises. Can I just work on my breathing? And don't let a few more months pass by. And especially if you're trying to get some cut or go to some meet in the summer, you know, hopefully things are, are looking a little bit more normal in terms of summer season. Don't waste this opportunity. And people are getting faster. We're seeing it no matter what their conditions are. So don't be left behind with that. I'm a coach in South Dakota and, and, I, <laughs> and I don't really know, you know, I, this, this has always been a problem for me. I've never pulled the trigger. Uh, I, you know, I can tell them right now they can go to surge-strength.com. They can go to riddersp.com. But 
some folks might want to talk to you. Some folks might want to reach out to you. Are you yeah. somebody that, are you accessible to, to, or do you do, do you, do you have moments of it? Yeah. That, that's the, that's the question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but it's a good question. Absolutely. So Mel, you can actually book a phone call with me for free right now. Go to the website, fill out the form. And that's under the program section. And even just the last few days, I've talked to a number of coaches in States that all of a sudden had shutdowns and they were kind of scrambling and like, all right, this is real. I don't know when I'm getting water time back in the next few weeks. I got to shore up my dryland program and reality staring them in the face and we get them onboarded working with one of our dryland certified coaches. I talk them through what they need um, and the programs and how we can make sure it can work with all the kids if they're stuck at home and they have very little equipment or we've still been onboarding some teams that still have access to some of their facilities and that's great. It gives us more options, but yeah, that's not a problem. Just go to the website, fill out the form, schedule a call. Um, at this point, it'll probably be in early January. <laughs> it's closing down for the next few weeks in terms of phone calls, but yeah, we can get you guys started really fast in terms of working with one of our dryland certified coaches. And I, I can tell the relief that I hear from coaches, especially when they can get this off of their plate and say, okay, I know I have a good solution here. I know you guys are going to take care of us and I don't have to worry about this anymore. Because again, I can't imagine everything a coach is trying to juggle right now and then add, oh yeah, get their dryland program good and do it through Zoom and make sure it's good. <laughs> Where do you start? And we, we're all ready to help you. The beauty is understanding where you're weak. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can be strong just by using the right assets. Yeah. I, I wish I could tell you that I was a genius about everything at Swim Summit. That is far, far, far from the truth. Uh, it's, it's good to have a lot of smart people around you. And I, and I hope the coaches take advantage and, and use RitterSP.com and Surge-Strength.com as an asset, as a go-to for their own mental health and just in, and to help them get through this period of time in particular and to be an asset in the future when everybody's back in the pool. Yeah, yeah. And, and just speaking of mental health too, Mel, if I can kind of go to a different direction with that too. We, for the past, I think now, we're going on 15 months with Paul Yetter leading the coaches in our mentorship in the hive. And I just had a phone call with him the other day connecting with him. The stuff that Paul is doing under the, the COVID restrictions that are in Baltimore, Maryland, and they have been one of the strictest regions since shutdown started. And some of the stuff that he is being able to do and the time that his kids are dropping with all the circumstances, being able to share that with other coaches and saying, hey, I'm going through it just as bad as you right now. And we're figuring out if as a coach, you have no one to talk to, no one to lean on and figure that out make sure you check that out because I think that resource has been invaluable for coaches getting through this and just picking the brains of other coaches as well and helping their mental health of, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are plenty of coaches across this country that have really bad circumstances that are still getting their kids to swim fast. And more importantly, what Paul was talking to me about, his kids are fired up to come to practice about swimming. And it's not this, oh man, you know, are we going to swim today or not? And you know, the restrictions not. And again, that mental fatigue that can happen, whether you're a coach or an athlete. So make sure that you're able to reach out to someone. And you know, if, if you're interested in joining the mentorship in the hive, you know, led by Paul, and we got some really cool stuff that we're going to be rolling out with that in 2021, but check that out too. That just comes to mind. I can't imagine what it's like to be a coach right now going through all this and trying to juggle it. And if you don't have the resources and support, 
it's got to be tough. I know you're taking a break. What's what's happening with you? <laughs> so so Mel, uh, on another side note too, I am going to challenge myself in 2021, and I'm putting it out here. It's being recorded. I am going to try to read a book a week, and I'm going to do a podcast about it in under 15 minutes. Uh, the title is called Remember Pink Monkey because I did not read a single book in high school. Thanks to Pink Monkey. <laughs> thanks to Pink Monkey. I passed all my English classes. Um, but since graduating and especially through college, I, if I look back and pointing to what's helped me succeed, grow, learn, it's just consuming new knowledge and continuing to learn. And so it's not a swimming specific podcast. It's going to be a bunch of different books on, you know, raising kids or business or sports or whatever. I'm going to kind of go random, but yeah, I'm going to start it in, uh, in January. So check it out. It's going to be 15 minutes. I'm going to tell you what the book was about and then what I thought. And I had it for a while, but I feel like I'm just going to put it out there to hold myself accountable and kind of give myself a, a new goal and push myself in 2021. So yeah, check it out. It'll be launching in January. Everyone's going to be giving you suggestions for books. <laughs> you, you can, or anybody can send them in too. I got a long list right now in, in my Audible wish list that I got to catch up with. Uh, but the yeah. last, I just finished a book. The last book I read was about the, this, the, the young woman who, who, who was recruited, went to the CIA, became an, an, an officer, and, and then left. And now she's, now she's like a host on a, on a Netflix series, but it's like serious, hardcore docudrama. Yeah. But she, she had a legit interesting career and she details that and I'm like I don't believe this I don't believe this but by the time I got through the second half of the book I'm like okay I I, I this is real this is a true memoir yeah and uh it's a it's a great read if you're into nonfiction. yeah no and that's why I'm going to be all over the place random so again it's not swimming specific podcast but I just look back and thinking how little I read in high school and college and and somehow got through all the classes and now how important reading and learning has become in my life. And now I'm kind of switched more to audiobooks and and research is shining kind of show, yeah, it's a little bit different flavor. But for me, I'm able to fit it in much more. Go on a hike, go through an audiobook. And so if I can just do a little part to either help other coaches or other people that are just interested in learning, picking up some ideas, or just, hey, I wanna I want to dig into that book a little bit more. Nice quick podcast. I'm going to be doing it on a weekly basis and hopefully keep myself accountable and uh, go on that goal through 2021. We've been talking with Chris Ritter, founder and CEO of Ritter Sports Performance and Surge Strength Dryland Certification, which is uh, something that if you're a coach out there, you need to take advantage of this. I'm Mel Stewart, buddy. Do you have any parting, parting thoughts? No, I hope the coaches out there are doing well. 2020 has been a crazy year, but I've still seen so much success throughout the swimming world in spite of all the stuff. We're a very resilient bunch and I'm excited to see what's gonna happen in 2021. You've been listening to the Swim Swam Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.